You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. My guests are Dr. Vasada, President and Chief Scientific Officer of the Doheny Eye Institute, and his colleague, Dr. Michael Ipp, Director of the Doheny Image Reading Center. Thanks both so much for being here for this episode all about AI. AI, artificial intelligence, is poised to transform medicine, and already ophthalmologists are leveraging AI-informed diagnostic tools to more precisely identify disease progression and treat patients. The applications and potential for AI in ophthalmology is significant, and patients with diabetic retinopathy, cataract, macular degeneration, glaucoma, all are likely to benefit. AI will ultimately be a tool in the treatment of those diseases of the retina and those that afflict the cornea. The work of the Doheny Imaging Reading Center is already deeply invested in AI approaches, so we're going to take this time to explore how AI is now part of the work at Doheny and how Doheny's leadership sees this technology evolving. So Dr. Saad, if we could start with you with a quick overview of how and why AI is increasingly a part of the work at Doheny. Artificial intelligence is something that really is kind of the hot topic these days. It's, it's not just even in medicine. It's sort of throughout the world, areas of business and the like. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right that it has transformative potential uh, in, in healthcare and especially, uh, it, it seems, in ophthalmology. And fundamentally, one of the things that as physicians, uh, you know, we increasingly have to deal with more and more data. And handling these huge amounts of data and, and trying to make sense of them and trying to extract uh, intricate uh, details that might help us with making diagnoses and the like, that takes many, many years of training. For example, when I'm seeing patients in, in one of our Dahini eye centers, you know, and I'm trying to make a diagnosis, I call upon uh, my knowledge and my experience of having seen many such uh, cases. And the beauty of artificial intelligence is that uh, you're able to train a system simply by giving it lots of examples, lots of cases of what a particular disease or situation looks like. And the next time it encounters it, it's able to make that diagnosis correctly. I mean, that's just one application, uh, but I think it, it highlights the power because this is a system that then would be able to make that diagnosis correctly and, and quickly um, and would be able to continuously get better at making the diagnosis because it's something they continue to learn over time. Uh, and it's really great that we're having this podcast now, I would say, uh, because, uh, you know, just last year, uh, we had one of the first technologies ever approved in healthcare involving artificial intelligence, which was an automated system for diabetic retinopathy um, screening. And I've been very proud to say that uh, we've been very involved in this at, at, at Dahini. We've been involved in a lot of the research. Uh, and we've had NIH collaborations with other, uh, organiz- other companies that have just completed, for example, their own um, pivotal trial um, and uh, likely will have um, another FDA-cleared product in the space. So we recognize certainly its potential to completely transform ophthalmology, and it's been exciting for us to be uh, very much invested and involved in shaping what I think is the future of our field. So, Dr. Ip, let me draw you into the conversation. I think one thing many people are curious about is the integration of the AI with the trained technicians and the doctors. Sort of, can you paint a picture of us for what it looks like, how that integration happens in the lab and in the reading center? 
So I think in, in terms of what we're doing right now at the Reading Center, it's kind of like at clinic level right now. We're trying to figure out how exactly artificial intelligence is going to fit into our workflow and into our future. I do think in, in terms of artificial intelligence at the Reading Center, it's not a question of, of if it's going to happen. I think it's really a question of when uh, it's going to happen. I think the technology is already there. Uh, I think we have to figure a way out uh, in terms of how to best integrate this into the workflow, how to best utilize it to make us better as a reading center and to make us more efficient uh, you know, as, as a reading center. Just one sort of step back in terms of reading center uh, and, and, and what it is. It, it's, a, it's an image analysis laboratory. And in our case, it images ophthalmic images. And you can make a an analogy to a dermatologic type reading center or a radiologic type reading center, uh, both disciplines which also use a lot of images. And so what we do uh, is that we support outcomes from clinical trials from large pharma companies, NIH, small companies, or just investigators. And what we are trying to do with these images is we, we analyze them for outcomes and we export the data. And I see that there are two sort of low-hanging fruits, sort of two areas where we can more or less quickly integrate the technology that's now being made available at the clinics and start to integrate and use that at the reading center. So one, for example, is to take images and assess them quickly with artificial intelligence to say whether or not that image is suitable for analysis, the quality of that image. Is it suitable for us to intake at the reading center or should we leave it uh, at the clinical site and ask them to resend a better image. And so that's called image quality analysis. Or, so can or, I ask you, uh, is, IQR that, is what we call it internally. And would that determination be made by an algorithm? Well, that's what we're hoping to do, because right now the image is sent from the clinical site to our reading center where we have man- we manually graded. We have humans looking at it and we spend quite a bit of time making sure that the image is right before it can get passed on internally at the reading center. So one way we're working right now very hard on, on trying to do this is there are scientists within Doheny that have a specialty in artificial intelligence, and these individuals are helping us right now try to accomplish this. So right now we're doing it at the level of the reading center. It's in the reading center. We're going to try to filter out the images that are not quality images. Probably in the future, what we can do is analyze those images for quality right at the clinical site level before it even gets to us. There's a little bit more of a challenge there to do that, but ultimately that would be the best way to do it because there would be no time delay in getting the answer to the clinical site, whether or not that image is suitable. And then the the other thing where artificial intelligence can help us greatly uh, is the analysis of the images once they're in our system to be analyzed. So there's a lot going on in terms of the, the clinical setting right now to analyze images for diagnosis, whether it's referable diabetic retinopathy or non-referable diabetic retinopathy. There was just a study by uh, Pierce Keene and his group where Moorfields teamed up with Google DeepMind and they were able to be better than retinal specialists in terms of making a referral diagnosis in a large data set of patients at Moorfields. And so that type of technology I could see and I hope will very soon be utilized in the reading center to analyze in a research fashion the very fine gradations and levels of disease 
that we are now being tasked to do, but we are doing it in a very laborious and very manual fashion at this point. And I think that's something that I see coming down the road. It's, it's going to happen. Again, as I said, it's, it's not a matter of if, but when that's going to happen. I'm kind of curious. It sounds like it's a little bit of a Marie Kondo approach. Like you want to get rid of some of the clutter of images that really aren't even of the quality to be read. And so I'm wondering what that means about the capacity. And this is sort of more of a macro question from a public health perspective. Can the AI tools actually significantly increase capacity for care? I, I do think so. I mean, uh, I mean, if you look at some of the literature right now, what they say is, and I, I agree, we're taking more images than we know what to do with. We're taking more images than we have physicians available to evaluate them, right? So if we can have artificial intelligence grade images, let's say at the very low level of where patients come in to be screened, just simple referable not versus non-referable, that would be enormous. That would allow patients to enter the healthcare system with a diagnosis, with a treatment plan at a much earlier stage and diagnose and treat disease much earlier. That would be something that could happen in the United States and certainly in in areas of the world where there's more of a limited access to medical care uh, that could have profound changes in the global healthcare system. Can you talk a little bit about what we know about fallibility of AI and false negatives and how that plays into the operation of the Image Reading Center? Obviously, we're looking for algorithms that give us the highest sensitivity and the highest specificity, right? So right now, we don't specifically have those types of tools that are available that we're using right now. But what I envision, again, is these these very accurate tests that are, or algorithms that are being used right now in the clinical space. Uh, as I just mentioned, there was that the Moorfields DeepMind collaboration, which in my mind is actually a mind-blowing paper. I mean, if it's true, what they say they actually did, artificial intelligence at a reading center, and certainly in the clinical setting, is right around the corner because they were very, very accurate uh, with respect to making a referable diagnosis. I, if, if I recall correctly, the algorithm that they had developed by Deep Mind, uh, Google DeepMind at Moorfields was more accurate than retinal specialist consultants who were not only given the image that the Google DeepMind was given, but they were given additional images and they were given patients' clinical data. And the Google DeepMind still performed in a superior fashion. So if you translate that to the reading center, if we're able to get that type of computing power directed at a problem that's very specific for a reading center, I don't think we're going to have too much of a problem with sensitivity and specificity when we're looking at reading center grades. Now, sensitivity and specificity is not really a construct that I think translates to a reading center grade because a reading center grade is, is, is more of a situation where there is a disease present, we know what the disease is, and we're not trying to, you know, do a binary test of refer or not refer, and we're not trying to find the diagnosis. We're actually trying to look at a very fine scale of the disease and sort of grade it within a scale of disease. So it's a little bit different, but I, I think the computing power and technology can be turned to, to greatly and vastly help uh, reading centers. One thing I was going to add uh, is uh, to echo what Mike said is that you know the, the, the performance of these systems 
is really quite uh, incredible uh, in terms of their their performance versus human experts now. But I think uh, to to get at your uh, question of how do we see these things being deployed, I think initially you know we would expect that these to be as diagnostic aids. So whether in clinical practice or even in the reading center, you might imagine how they might provide like a first grading or some type of uh, initial review. At least initially, uh, with these systems, we would still have a human review them before making a final determination. So I think in the first deployments, they're going to be sort of diagnostic aids, but eventually we can certainly envision how even in routine clinical practice, they could actually be used as the primary diagnostic tool. And, and as, as, as we mentioned, sort of at the outset, um, we already have uh, such a tool um, already approved, an automated diagnostic tool already approved are cleared by the FDA for screening of referral warrant for diabetic retinopathy. The innovation is happening so quickly, and it sounds like it's actually really exciting for you to be, in a way, anticipating and keeping up with it. I'm wondering if you can give us as a little bit of a takeaway, looking at the calendar, what do you see in the next 18 months, five years, and maybe even a decade down the road? Any thoughts about where this is heading? I think in the next 18 months, uh, we can almost certainly expect there are going to be other eye disease screening products that are going to get FDA cleared and become available. Uh, and I think the complicated aspect in the next 18 months to two years is going to be figuring out how these can be commercialized or actually uh, make sense uh, in terms of you know who's going to pay for them, how are they going to be actually absorbed into the healthcare system. Those are important questions uh, that really are going to be sorted out, I think, over the next two years. And then thinking longer term, you know, let's say in the five-year time frame, I think we're going to have a whole suite of actual diagnostics. I mean, screening basically means you're saying is the disease present or not, which is what Mike was referring to earlier. But then, uh, you know, one step further is to say, well, this could be a whole host of different problems, but here is the specific diagnosis this, is in, this individual has. That's a much higher bar to get regulatory approval. But I think we can expect that we will have within this five-year time frame, multiple approved tools that will actually be able to render an automated diagnosis. And so then thinking long-term, what we envision is, you know, we, we all understand the real serious situation, uh, not only in our country, but around the world with regards to how do we pay for these rising healthcare costs and how do we, uh, how do we manage this? And one can imagine maybe a future in where where maybe simple diagnoses or at least initial diagnoses, people may be able to do in their own home uh, on themselves using uh, easy diagnostic tools, maybe even smartphones or things like your Apple Watch with an EKG sensor, uh, tools like that, uh, which will then be married to AI algorithms, which allow people to do a lot of the initial diagnoses so that by the time they're actually coming in to see a doctor, they kind of know what's going on or at least the only people who really need to come see the doctor will be coming at that point. And that may even provide a solution to some of our other healthcare resourcing issues that we're currently facing. So the AI might be in all of our pockets in a way in, in the years ahead. Dr. Vas Sada, Chief Medical Officer and CEO of the Doheny Eye Institute, and Dr. Michael Ipp, Director of the Doheny Image Reading Center, thank you both so much for this concise tour of AI and ophthalmology. I hope you'll come back. Thank you, Jody. Pleasure. Thanks, Jody. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, 
is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.